My name is Catherine, and uh, youngest of three daughters, uh, just born into a broken home. My parents were divorced uh, before I was born. When I was three, my mom finally got remarried, and uh, everything for her started to come together because we didn't have to live in shelters. Unfortunately, he was more interested in me than he was my mom, and so uh, the kind of the first counts of sexual abuse started to happen. Uh, in my life at three and um, didn't stop for a very long time. In the next couple of years, being moved back and forth between my mom and my dad, I got to you know pretend to be this person or that person or, or, or whatever, and I just never had to be me. I ended up living with my friend's parents. <laughs> we went to, and we walked into a tattoo shop one day to get uh, some piercings and and I met a girl. So we started dating and I found out that she has children and I was really hesitant at that point, but we started this relationship and we spent the next seven years together. It was about three, a little over three years ago, I just came to this cross point of, I have everything that I need, everything that I want. I have this, this woman who loves me and thinks I hung the moon. I have these children who love and respect me. And the Lord was so good to not let me be satisfied in that. I remember running into this guy at the tattoo shop. I had spoken to him several times, and anytime I talked to him, he would invite me to come to his church. But during this particular time, I remember saying, fine, you know, maybe he'll leave me alone. And, um, and I went, and I remember getting ready to go to church. I was so afraid to walk into this place. And, uh, and when I showed up, they just welcomed me. After going to church for a while, I decided to do the best I could following Jesus and being a lesbian and known that, that that wasn't something that fit in with the word and I never even read the Bible. There's something about it that I just knew that that wasn't gonna work. And I knew that my next move was to leave my family. So I moved and I left and all I knew to do was to go to church, to school and to work and that's all I did. And I met with this lady who was gonna mentor me after meeting with her one time, she suggested that I go to Living Hope. Coming to Living Hope, it was really obvious that they were far more concerned with my walk with Jesus than how I looked or how I talked or how I dressed. It really was um, them encouraging me to, to seek the Lord in all the ways I was broken, but they were also not afraid to address what was broken about me. Uh, they they addressed it with the gospel, they addressed it with love, they addressed it with having been there, and and I could trust that. I know that I couldn't have done any of the things over the last year and a half without the ministry of Living Hope. Um, it is a ministry worth investing in and pouring into in any way that you're able to. I know that for me, just being able to participate and see lives literally change, not even only my own, which is so shocking to me, but also to see the other lives of other people who once thought they were this and now they're living in the truth that Jesus uh, has created them to be. Uh, it's one of the most powerful things I've, I've ever been a part of. And, uh, and I'm humbled and honored to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's really changed my life.
right, well, good morning. Good to see you here. Glad you've come this morning, and I appreciate, Brad, for inviting me and for your church for hosting me. I appreciate being here with you this morning. Well, as you've seen, Catherine has a, a pretty powerful story about the way that God transforms a person's life, coming out of uh, a life of homosexuality and lesbianism, living that life for a long time, being a mom to uh, three little kids that her partner had for seven years, and then all of a sudden coming to the place where she realized this isn't what the Lord wants me to do, and then leaving that situation and in pursuing Jesus, realizing that the cost of her following Jesus was to forsake being mom to these three little kids. Now, as a, as a male, I don't quite understand what that feels like or how that is, but I can only imagine as a woman to nurture and love those little ones and to be their mom, to be the room mother for their kindergarten class or to be the mom who's there at their t-ball practice and you know be involved in their school parties and all that sort of stuff and then to have to walk away from that because the Lord is calling you into holiness and to righteousness and to forsake that in order to pursue him is a difficult thing to do but that's exactly what the Lord called her to do and that's exactly what she was willing to do now the ministry that we do at Living Hope is a ministry that helps people walk out of their brokenness and into the love and the grace and the truth of Christ and, and when, when that happens, they become radically transformed. In fact, I would argue that when any of us come to meet Jesus Christ, we're radically transformed. You see, change isn't really optional for us that belong to Jesus. Change is required. Because everybody who meets Jesus changes one way or the other. And you'll see that as we look at some passages this morning. The first one I want to look at, and the, and the big question that I'm always asked is, um, well, what does it take for people to actually change? What, what needs to happen for someone to go from where Catherine was to where Catherine now is? And by the way, just so you know, uh, though she did you know, lose her relationship with those three little ones, Catherine now teaches every single week at a church in their preschool ministry, and she is beloved by lots and lots of little preschool kids that she gets to mother and love on and care for each and every week. And she does that each and every week and does it well. So this question of what, what do we need to do to, to make change happen, well, I think that ultimately the answer is the answer that really is the answer to almost everything, and that is what we need is Jesus. And Jesus himself is full of grace and truth. In fact, John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. You see, what our world needs today is not just a lavishing of grace upon them to where nothing is really uh, consequential or, or nothing is really bad, where everything is just okay and you just be who you want to be. No, what the world needs is grace that says Jesus died for you and truth to say that you're a sinner and need to repent. And so we have to have grace and truth, and that is what Jesus was when he came into the world. He confronted us with both grace and truth. Well, the truth, let's look at what that is. What is the truth? Well, the truth starts out in the beginning of the Bible, in the very first page of the Bible. When you open it up, what you'll see in Genesis 1-1 is that in the beginning was God. And so everything, every truth that really is true begins ultimately with God. In the beginning was God. And then God said he, in the beginning, decided that it was not good for man to be alone. And he decided, God, the one who was in the beginning and before the beginning, he decided that he would create a helper suitable for man. And what did he do? He created a woman. And the Bible said that God created man and he took from man woman. He created woman. 
And he put woman alongside of the man. The two of them came together. They formed the first marriage. And they formed the first family. And from that union of that man and that woman coming together, then new life came into the world. And we had the first family formed. And from that family, all of us are here today. Every single one of us. No matter our no matter our race, no matter our ethnicity, no matter the socioeconomic place we come from, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. The reality is we all come from that Adam and that Eve that was there in that garden. God created them male and female. And then in the third chapter of Genesis, what we see is a great fall that takes place. And in the third chapter, what we see is woman coming to the garden and listening to a serpent that was there. And the serpent had a very interesting thing that he said. It's the same thing that he keeps saying over and over and over and over and again to all of us. He said, but did God say? Did God really say? You see, and that's the message that the devil continues to give us today. He comes up to us and he says, now wait a minute. You feel this way, so did God really say that this was wrong or that was wrong or this was right or that was right? Did God really say that? And he causes this little bit of doubt to come in our minds. And sure enough, that doubt came into Eve's heart at that moment when the devil presented her the opportunity to eat from the tree that had been forbidden. And so sure enough, Eve reached out, grabbed that fruit, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he said nothing to her about the fact that she shouldn't be eating it. Therein lies the problem of most of us men. Sometimes we choose to say nothing when we should speak. It's true. We need to speak up. That's what God created us to do. We need to speak truth. And he says, you need to speak truth, man. Well, Adam said nothing. And so Adam and Eve sinned. And then we find the fall that takes place. God in the garden of the cool of the day looks for them like he needed to find them, like he wouldn't know where they were. Of course he did. But he looks for them. And what happens? They blame each other. And so sin begins. And so what we see is the Bible telling us later in the New Testament that by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. You see, the reality is that every time we sin, Something dies. For the wages of sin is death. Now, I, I really want you to think about that. And young people, I specifically want you to think about it. Because I want you to think about the fact that every time you sin, something is going to die. The, the difficulty is you don't get to pick when it dies or what dies. But something is going to die. When Adam and Eve decided to eat of that forbidden fruit, they died. From that moment on, they began to die. They had been designed to live forever. They had been designed to be in the garden forever. They had been designed in such a way that they could have enjoyed the fellowship of God forever. But because they chose to sin, death came into the world. And so we have all fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And because we have all sinned and there is none righteous, we are all going to die. That is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that insubordination to God's will, in the midst of that rebellion towards God's design, in the midst of all that, God is still gracious. So gracious, in fact, that, that in John 3.16, we, we see God saying that he loved us so much that he was willing to give his only begotten son for us. And that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. And so we see truth that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We see truth that the wages of sin is death. We see truth that all of us, regardless of how good you think you are, what we really deserve is death and hell. But what we get is grace in Jesus. 
Why? Because he comes into the world and he says, you know what? In the midst of your sin, I want to rescue you. In the midst of your pain, I want to rescue you. In the midst of your confusion, I want to rescue you. That's the kind of Savior we have. You see, grace and truth is most beautifully demonstrated in one of the most terrific things that ever took place in the world, the cross. For in that place at the cross, we see both the truth and the grace of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we see that? Well, we see it in the fact that on the cross, Jesus had to die to satisfy the truth of God's justice. To say that, you know what? I am a holy God and I can only be in the presence of that which is holy. You're not holy because you've sinned. I need something to to sacrifice. I need something to give itself on behalf. I need something to pay the price of sinful disobedience. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to give my sinless life, the one who came into the world and didn't sin, he said, I'm going to give my sinless life in order that you might have life everlasting. And so Jesus went to the cross, the truth. But then on that cross, as he's dying on our behalf, he demonstrates grace. What is grace? Grace is that unmerited favor. Grace is that love that goes beyond what even is reasonable. Grace is is that beautiful gift from God that we can't possibly earn, but we all receive. Why? Because Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross for us. That's the beautiful grace. And on that cross, he certainly did die. That's grace. That's grace personified. And then not only did it take the place of our sinfulness and pay the price of our sin, but it also showed us the power that was available to us because on the third day he rose again. And he says that, that when I go to be with the Father, I'm going to send another one to be with you who's going to fill you up, who's going to be a part of your life, that Holy Spirit who will come and empower you so that you don't have to continue in the bondage of sin that you once lived in. You see, that's Catherine's story. She said, I no longer have to walk in the ways that I used to walk. I no longer have to be who it was that I thought that I was. I no longer have to identify with all the things I feel, but I can identify with the one who has given his life for me, Jesus. And as a result of that, I can follow him faithfully. I'm now empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, Catherine would be the first one to tell you that it's not that she doesn't ever think about what it might be like to be with another girl. It's not that she doesn't ever think about the life that she used to have with those three precious little ones that she was raising. It wasn't their fault that any of that took place. She, she, she won't tell you that there's not some moments that she's not at times tempted or drawn toward things that she shouldn't be drawn toward. But what she will tell you is that in the midst of those temptations, Jesus is faithful. That in the midst of her struggles, in the midst of her trials, in the midst of her difficulties, Jesus will give her the strength to persevere. That's what he did on the cross. Why? Because he was full of grace and truth. That's the beauty of the Jesus that we serve. He transforms our identity from that of being the fallen ones, the sinful ones, the ones that in fact are, as Ephesians says, the objects of God's wrath. And he transforms us and transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And he changes our identity from that which is lost to that which is saved. To that which is perishing to that which is living. From that which is in bondage to that which walks in freedom. That's what Jesus does for us. 
So when people come to me and say, how do people change? The answer is grace and truth in the person of Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it looks like when one changes an identity. And that's why the issue of homosexuality and, and transgenderism and some of the, some of the um, different isms that you have related to sexuality are such difficult things to deal with. It's not because they, they simply involve things that feel so good, sexuality. It's more because they become something that we identify with holistically. It becomes who we are, not just what we do. And so why is homosexuality so much different than lying or pride or, or some of the other kinds of sin that you and I would easily fall into? Well, because those things we don't identify as who we are. Those are simply things we do. Sometimes we lie. Sometimes we're prideful. Sometimes we're arrogant. Sometimes we might even steal something. Sometimes uh, we may say words that are not good words and bad words toward people. Those are all things we do, but, but when one becomes a homosexual, even the way we talk about it is different because you become a homosexual, okay? Or I am a gay-identified person, or I am a lesbian person, or I am a transgender person. You don't, you don't become a lie. You don't become a pride. You, know? you don't become a stealing. You don't, you don't become a thief. You know, I mean, nobody identifies them that way. Even the person who steals all the time would rarely ever say, oh, I'm a thief, by the way. I just want you to know that's my occupation. Nobody says that, okay? Why? Because you try to hide those things. That's not something we embrace. But when it comes to, to homosexuality, it's like, no, this is what I am. And not, not only that, I'm prideful about it. I am excited about it. Matter of fact, I want everybody else to be excited about it. I'm going to have a parade about it. And we're going to let everybody know. I'm often asked, well, how come your ministry... You know, why, why do you believe it's important that, that there's a ministry just for homosexuality? Like, there's no ministry for liars. There's no ministry for all these other kinds of sins. Why don't you talk about that? I was like, oh, I talk about them all. I like talking about all kinds of sins. I said, but what I like to talk about is how in the midst of all those kinds of sins, we have a Jesus who is grace and truth. And he can rescue us from even those sins. Now, this identity issue is a big deal. And I want to look real quickly at one specific passage in Matthew chapter 19. It's a passage you're really familiar with. I'm sure you've heard it a bunch of times, but you've probably not heard it talked about in this particular way uh, because we typically talk about this story in terms of money. Okay? And it's found in Matthew 19. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Now, the rich young ruler, it's interesting, we call him the rich young ruler. Why? Because he obviously had money. Okay? And he's obviously identified as a rich young ruler. He's not just a ruler, he's a rich one. Okay, which makes him different than all the other poor rulers, I guess. But nonetheless, he was the rich ruler, all right? And here's what the Bible says about it. He says he came to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Well, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so Jesus calls the young man, and he says to him, All right, if you want to know how do you enter eternal life, then you need to keep the commandments. Well, he gets excited about that. He's like, Oh, that's good. I like that. And he said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus says, well, you should not murder, you should not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right? Gives him six of the ten commands. Interesting. Watch what he does. Gives him six of the ten commands, and then the young man says, well, hey, all these things I've kept from my youth. He said, what then shall I lack? Or what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, well, if you would be perfect... And that word in Greek actually means complete. If you will be whole, if you will be perfect, he says, this is what needs to happen to you. He said, go, 
uh, sell what you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, what we typically hear about this passage, and I think it's perfectly fine to preach about it this way, because it certainly talks about that, is that this man was all consumed with his money. He was holding on to his money. He loved money more than he loved God, and all of that is true. But I would argue there's a deeper thing going on here with Jesus. You see, Jesus mentioned six commands that the man said, I totally follow. And the six commands that he quotes are the second half of the Ten Commandments. Okay, It's the six last commandments, and they all have to do with other people. The first four commandments, however, are all about God. The first four commandments are, have no other gods before me, don't have any graven images that you worship, do not take the Lord's name in vain, and make sure you worship me regularly and keep the Sabbath. Those he didn't mention, why? I believe what Jesus was doing was setting this man up to help the man see that the problem with the man was not so much his doing, it was his being. You see, the man was doing a lot of the right things, but he wasn't being the right kind of person. What he needed to do was realize that his identity had been caught up in the fact that he had had and had lots of riches. You see, he was the rich young ruler. And so when he comes back to Jesus and says, what thing do I lack? What Jesus says that you lack, the thing that he lacked was he lacked an identity with Jesus. And so what does Jesus tell him to do? Well, if you want to get my identity, Jesus says, then go and take everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because you had too much money? No, because you loved it and identified with it more than you identified with me. You see, it was an identity issue that the man had. That's the same issue that every single person who comes to our ministry has. They love their feeling. They love their attraction. They love the things that they love more than they love Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, lose your identity. And come and follow me. Come identify with me. He says, put your treasure in heaven. Well, isn't that interesting? The Lord says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you see, if you identify with Jesus and you put your treasure in heaven, he says, well, that's where your being is going to be. You're going to be with Jesus, not here in the earth holding on to the treasures. And so Jesus admonishes that man to, to lose his identity. Sell everything you have. Come and follow me. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Now, you may say, well, Ricky, I don't have that problem. I'm not a rich young ruler. <laughs> I mean, I, I hardly got enough to pay my bills every week. I mean, I'm living to paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes it doesn't even last that long. But maybe it's something else that you're identifying with. Maybe your identity is tied up in how you look or who likes you or how many likes you get on Facebook. Maybe your identity is tied up in, in the way you dress or the school you go to or the people you hang around with or the things you do. God says, listen, if you want to follow me, you've got to lose whatever that is and pursue me wholeheartedly. You've got to identify with me. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because in Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he says to his disciples, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, here is the clue. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And it's interesting because basically it's the same admonition that he gives to this rich young ruler. Deny yourself. In other words, sell all the possessions you have because you've identified 
with those possessions more than you've identified with me. So sell those and then come to the cross. Well, what does the cross mean? So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. Well, the cross meant one thing in first century reality, and that was death. Everybody knew it. Crosses were not something you wore on your neck. They weren't something you tattooed on your skin. They weren't something that you put on a piece of clothing or a hat. No, the cross in the first century meant one thing, and that was that you died. And so Jesus said, if you really want to identify with me, understand that my whole life, my whole purpose in coming, the reason I was born in that manger on that day was to go to that cross so you wouldn't have to. And so Jesus says, if you want to identify with me, take up your cross, take up death, and then follow me. Do what I did. Now, there's the hard part, too. Because do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He was willing to die for all of us. And so what does that mean for you and I? Well, it means that we have to be willing to lay down our lives for other people. It means we have to be willing to be ridiculed. It means we have to be willing to be unpopular. It means we have to be willing to stand up in the the, the midst of a culture that's going to push and shove against you and is not going to believe you or like you or want to go where you want to go. We're going to have to stand up in the midst of that and say, you know what, I want to be counted with him. And if that means that they put me in jail, if that means that they don't like me and they say bad things about me, even if it means that at some point they kill me, I'm willing to go there because he was willing to go there and I want to follow him. I want to be identified. I want to be named with him. I'm willing to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Wow. It's not an easy thing to do. It reminds me of a of a young man who experienced grace and truth in a very powerful way. He had gone to, uh, raised in a wonderful Christian family, went to, went to uh, a wonderful Christian school, private Christian school for his college education, had done really well, and he was incredibly gifted and talented, a wonderful actor, incredible young man. Matter of fact, he was so gifted and talented that he and a young lady that, that he met there at the school uh, went off to New York and decided they were going to try to make it on the big stage in Broadway, and sure enough, he did. He was very successful, became a Broadway actor, uh, was just phenomenal, was having a great time. And his little friend that was a girl that had gone to school with him, she was there along with him. She, too, was a Christian. And, and they began this sort of wonderful whirlwind uh, experience there in the big city in the Big Apple of New York. He was on stage. She was on stage. She was a dancer. Everything seemed to be going great. They kind of liked each other at one point along the way, but, but now things had changed a bit. For in New York, he realized more than ever that the struggle that he had felt all the way from the time he was a little boy became very, very real because it was always in his face. You see, he realized pretty quickly that, that he was dealing with homosexuality, and before long, his days were spent practicing in the theater, and his nights were spent in the arms of lots of other men. He began to have all kinds of relationships with all kinds of men. Now, in the day, he would hang out with his Christian friends, and everything would be great, but at night, he would do all these other things, or after the shows, he would do all these other things with these other men, and he was sleeping with people time and time again. Finally, one of his friends who loved him and cared for him and had walked with him, and this young lady who had known him for a long time, finally came to him, and they looked at him, and they said, Luke, listen, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to die. You're simply going to die. And he said, even though he'd been doing it for many, many years at that point, he said, I don't know what happened in that moment. It came to me, wow, this is really true. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to die. So I got online and I decided, well, he went home actually first. He, went, he decided I was going to go home for a little bit and spend some time with my folks. So he said, I went out to West Texas. And while I was in West Texas, I decided I need some help. And I looked online and I found Living Hope was doing a conference. And I came to the conference, heard what you had to say, thought this is what I need to do. Long story short, he left the Broadway stage 
came to our ministry, began working with us. It wasn't an easy journey for him at all. But he worked through that journey, came through that journey, found himself finding freedom and hope in ways he never found before, continued to act locally in theaters, and then after uh, a, a many, many years, got to the place where that young lady who had been with him in New York finally also came back to Texas, and they fell in love. And they began to court, and he finally got married. Well, it wasn't but just about a year ago, not quite a year ago, actually, that I got this particular picture, and I'll show it to you here. I got this picture from him, and at the bottom of the picture it said, hashtag redemption. You see, that's Luke's little girl. Her name is Eleanor Grace. And Luke has a little girl today because Jesus was faithful enough to give him both grace and truth. Because he realized that in order to really follow Christ, we have to surrender all and identify with him. I'm here to tell you that Christ wants to offer all of you grace and truth this morning. It's not going to be grace if I tell you that everything you're doing is okay and it's all well and good and you just keep doing whatever you want to do and the blood of Jesus is going to cover it. You don't have to worry about anything. No, yes, the blood of Jesus does cover it, but you need to do it in a way that moves you to identify with Jesus. And the Bible says if you love him, you will obey him. And so our lives are not about the things we desire. Our lives are about the one who desires us. And we need to follow him and surrender him and to know that he is worth our life. Are you willing to give Jesus your life this morning? Maybe you're holding on to some particular sin, some, something that's, that's gripping you. Maybe it's some identity that, that you've adopted. Jesus says this morning that, you know what? He is full of grace and truth, and he wants to help you to identify completely with him. Will you deny yourself this morning? Will you take up your cross? Will you follow Jesus? Because that's what he's calling us to do this morning.